We've been working through the book of Titus, and I want to pick up in chapter 2. Last week, we preached <clears throat> verses 11, 12, 13, but we kind of skipped over verse number 12, uh, looking at the grace of God, and we're going to pick back up there in just, a, in just a moment. But just before we read our text tonight, just a real quick, real quick background of what the book of Titus, what's happening in the book of Titus is that you've got a church, you've got churches in an island called Crete, and Paul is, is, is speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the young pastor Titus, and he has, he has got a purpose for Titus being there in Crete, and it is, and found in chapter 1, verse 5, to set in order the things that are wanting. These churches have some issues that need to be worked out, and God sends a man to help them work out these, uh, these things. And then to, to start that process, it is to ordain the leadership in the church. In chapter number one, we see the leadership and the qualifications of that leadership and what God says must be true about the elders that are in the position of leadership in the church. But then, chapter number two, we find that not only is leadership important to be right, it's important for leadership should be right. But finally, chapter 2, the followership, it must be right. Everything rises and falls on two things, not just one. It, fall, it rises and falls on leadership and followership. You can have the Apostle Paul as the pastor and if the people won't go uh, with, with the Word of God and the man of God following the Word of God, then nothing's going to happen. So you've got to have both. And so chapter 2 begins that process of talking to the aged men and the aged women and how they are to be a teaching not just being a, 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 they are supposed to be an example to the younger men and women, but not only just be an example in their life, but they ought to be teaching them some things. They ought to be pulling those younger uh, women and younger men aside and teaching them. And may I just say to us that are younger in here, be careful of getting our advice and our counsel from people our age. Our peers will tell us what we want to hear. And this is not in the message tonight, but be careful of that. Make sure you are getting wise counsel from those that have been down the road a little bit and some of you young people I'm not being ugly because I was at where you were at one time you don't think we know what's going on but we've been down the road a little while we've been down the road a little further we've seen a little bit more than you have in your life and we and, and sometimes we think a little bit more soberly and I say we I'm not that much older it's men in here a lot wiser a lot more a lot older than I am but the aged men and women need to not just set the example but speak what is to be in our lives and to help us. And then there's some things to the young men and the young women, what we ought to be in the church and the qualifications of the membership. But all of a sudden, and then it talks about in verse number 9 and verse number 10, the relationship between the worker and his boss. And I preached this a few weeks ago on the Christian on the job and how you ought to be on the job. The Bible is concerned about every part of your life. But then we get in verse number 11. And verse number 11 gives us the reason for this all. The reason for all of this, the reason there are qualifications for the pastor, the reason there are qualifications for the membership, reason all of this, and the reason we ought to want to live up to those qualifications, the reason we ought to want to live up to those standards, if you will, is verse number 11, for the grace of God, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Now scattered through chapter number 2, there's some other reasons we 
we ought to want to live for God. That is the reasons of like uh, uh, that uh, that uh, he that is of the contrary part might be ashamed uh, having no evil thing to say of you. We ought to want to live for God so the people of the world won't have anything bad to say about God. Uh, we ought to we ought to want to live for God so that we might uh, uh, the Bible says to adorn the doctrines of God. We ought to want to make the doctrine of God look good in this world. And all of that has its place and it ought to drive us, it ought to motivate us. But the main motivating factor of us living for God must be the grace of God. The grace of God. It says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And I want to say thank God for the grace of God. Thank God for his sovereign grace. It is the grace of God, not the grace of man, not the grace of some institution, not the grace of some organization, but it is the sovereign grace of God. Don't get nervous with that word. It just means he rules over everything. And he had a choice whether he had to show us grace or not. But I am glad for the sovereign grace of God tonight. I'm also glad for the saving grace of God. It bringeth salvation. Hey, I don't know about you, but I am so glad to be saved tonight. On a Wednesday night, I'm glad to be redeemed. I'm glad to be regenerated. I'm glad to be a child of, the, of God and a child of the King. I'm so glad to be saved. Somebody said, how you doing? I said, well, I thought to myself just a while ago, how am I doing? I'm saved by the grace of God. I'm born again. I'm blood washed. I'm heaven bound with a hammer down. Yeah, things go bad. Yeah, everything's not going the way I wanted to go. Hey, but I'm saved tonight. And that's worth being excited about. Hey, that's worth being happy about. Amen. Saving grace. What about the sufficient grace? Hath appeared unto all men. And all means all. And that's all all means. Thank God that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I'm glad for a whosoever will gospel. I'm glad that the saving grace of God is for every man. It is for every woman, every boy, and every girl. Of every racial of every race and every ethnicity and every nationality. I'm glad that the grace of God is for every background, every socioeconomic status, every man. The grace of God is sufficient to save everyone that comes upon, comes to him in faith. The grace of God. See, grace is God's love that causes him to give us where there is no merit. The grace of God Causes God to love us or, or is the love of God that causes him to give to us where there is no merit. God's grace is not given to you because you deserve it. It's not because you have earned it. It's not because you, he, listen, God didn't even save you thinking about what you could be for him. You know, we do a lot of things for people thinking about, well, if I do this for them, maybe they'll do this for me. If I do this for them, maybe they'll take care of me. Uh, sometimes I get like that with my kids. Can I just get honest with you, transparent with you? I think, man, if I take care of them, maybe when I'm old and feeble, they'll take care of me. I don't know. Uh, we do that for people. But listen, listen, God, God's grace is, is given to us where there is no merit. And matter of fact, God's grace is given to us where there's a whole lot of demerit. Amen. There's a whole lot of bad. God knows what we are. God knows what we're going to be and yet he still loves us and he still gives to us that's grace for him thank God for grace grace 
Thank God anybody, any place, any time, no matter how wicked, no matter how vile, can come to God in repentance and faith and they will be gloriously, instantaneously, radically, dramatically, eternally saved by the grace of God. Amen. But not only is it sovereign grace and saving grace, sufficient grace, it is schooling grace, teaching us. And tonight... I want to deal a little slow down. I want to slow a little. I've, I've said it three weeks in a row. This third week in a row I've said that schooling grace. But I want to deal with that schooling grace tonight. While there is nothing to earn as far as grace is concerned, there's so much to learn. While there's nothing to earn, there's so much to learn. The grace of God that saves is the grace of God that seals, thank God, sanctifies and schools us. I want to just, I'm going to take these words in chapter, in verse number 12. I want to define these words. I want to talk about these words. And I want to see if we can't make application, real life practical application to us right here in this room on a Wednesday night. So I want to, I, I got two points. That's all I got. Y'all can't believe that. And I ain't got no sub points. I just got two points. I want to talk about what God teaches, what grace teaches us to deny and what God teaches us to display. Number one, God, what God, what does God teach us to deny? He teaches us to deny, I could lump it under one word, is ungodliness. Look in your Bible, Bible, verse number 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. Now, I thought about this, that, that the devil would love to deny God's grace. He would love to wipe away God's grace altogether. But you know, the devil's not a dumb devil. Uh, he, he's, he's not a, he's, he, is a he is a wily devil. He, he's got some, he's got some kind of, he is a subtle devil, you know. The Bible says early on when we introduced to him in Genesis chapter 3, he's subtle. And so he's got some, some wisdom about himself. And so he says, okay, I can't deny grace, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to distort grace. And what he does, he starts twisting grace, and he wants you to think that because you are saved by grace, and because your works cannot save you and your works cannot keep you saved, then it doesn't make a difference how you live. And that's the way the devil distorts grace in our lives. He doesn't deny it, and, and we see that more and more, but he, he distorts it and he says, well, it doesn't matter. You just do what you want to. You're predestined to go to heaven, right? Uh, like some people that read books and not their Bible would believe it. And you, you know, you are, you, you were picked to go to heaven. You know, all your friends were picked to go to hell, uh, but you were picked to go to heaven and it doesn't matter anyway. So you just live like you want to. That's why the devil distorts grace in our lives. Billy Sunday said, you might as well speak of a heavenly devil as to speak of a worldly Christian. You might as well speak of a heavenly devil as to speak of a worldly Christian. Ungodliness and worldly lust. What does that worldly mean? What does this ungodliness and worldly lust, it would, it would fall under what we call worldliness maybe? I'm calling it just ungodliness. But what does this world, worldly, what does world stand for? Or is it talking about the planet? No, God's, God created the planet, and he said it was good. 
So God's okay with the planet, the world, the earth. Is it talking about the people? Well, no. God so loved the world, as far as the people goes, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, the people of the world, uh, that believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the planet. God loves the people. So it's not talking about that, but it is talking about the philosophy of this world. The Bible says in 1 John 2.15, many of you know this verse, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 19, John says this, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And that phrase, lieth in wickedness, literally means to be cradled in the lap of wickedness. The whole world is being cradled in the lap of wickedness. And that word wickedness refers to the wicked one. So we could say, and I'm not changing our Bible, don't get it, but it's, it carries the idea of the whole world, the world system, the world philosophy is being cradled in the lap of the devil. The Bible speaks of a, the spirit of this world, the wisdom of this world, the fashion of this world, and even the pollutions of this world. Begin talking about the philosophy. And, and this worldly philosophy is in entertainment. I don't have to go far. I don't think I have to. I could be gorilla in the cage right now and preach against the worldly entertainment, but y'all all say amen to that. Right? Wouldn't you? Okay. Or oh, what about this? The, the worldly philosophy is in news media. It doesn't matter what channel you're watching. It doesn't matter where you're getting your emails from or your news blasts or wherever you're getting information from. In reality, the world's philosophy is all ingrained in the news media. It's found in education, especially secular education that doesn't have a biblical worldview and a Christ-centered curriculum. It is, it is the philosophy of this world. The philosophy of this world is ingrained. It's indoctrinated in education. Matter of fact, education is religion. It's indoctrinating them. With the philosophy of this world, it's found in politics. Say amen to that. You don't have to watch much news because I don't. And you know that this world's philosophy is ingrained in the politics of this world. But sadly, the world's philosophy is ingrained in the church as well. And I'm not talking about the ones who claim to be a church and they're not a church. I'm not talking about that crowd that denies the deity of Christ but still calls herself a church. I'm not talking about the crowd who still worships Mary but calls herself a church. I'm not talking about the guys who were praying to the dead today. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the crowd who denies the word of God and all these other. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the blood-washed, born-again church. The world's philosophy has crept in here as well. Because here's the world's philosophy. The world's philosophy hates the idea that right is right and wrong is wrong. Now, we know Hollywood don't like that. We know government don't like that. We know all that other stuff. But why is it, are we living in an hour where the church don't like that? Don't tell me I'm wrong, preacher man. Don't, don't, don't preach on my sin, preacher man. No, 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 Sunday school teacher, don't you deal with those verses. 
Don't you say anything about separating myself from this world. You just get up there and preach the grace of God, bring your salvation, and appear to all men and shout it out all you want to. Go ahead and skip verse number 12 to verse number 13 and the blessed hope of his uh, glorious appearing. Let's shout about that, but don't deal with verse number 12, preacher. Because we don't like the idea of right is right and wrong is wrong. It's crept in. That's why many people come in and they go out. They come in and they go out because they don't like a right is right and a wrong is wrong. Just recently had one who said that the reason, and I'm not being, I don't think this is the only place in the world to be, but I had one tell me that the reason they will not be here is because you preach too hard. Preach too hard against what? And they said sin. I said, don't you saved? Amen. Oh, Christians need that. Listen. Uh, listen, we hate the, we've gotten in the crept in the church of this idea. Wait a minute. Well, it can't, it, it can't be so black and white, preacher. We're looking for all the gray areas. And let me just say, there are some gray areas that we're not sure about. And we can fuss and fight about them all day long, but there's some stuff in here. It is straight down the line. It's one way or the other. It's amazing we will get in a, a tizzy and strain at a gnat over the gray area and, and forsake all this stuff in the right, the black or the white area, the right or the wrong area. And it's all because we don't want to make nobody mad. And listen, we ought not to be going making people mad on purpose, right? Haven't we seen enough of that this week if you've been on social media? Everybody's fighting about Halloween. Good gracious. Now, I'm against it. I am. I am against it. We ain't doing nothing around here to promote it, okay? We're not. And we ain't voting on that, okay? But don't, I don't have to blast that on Facebook. I don't have to blast that on social media. I don't have to put people down. I have to fuss and fight about that. We got people dying and going to hell. We got worse problems. Forget a kid dressing up like Spider-Man getting candy last night. What about the dude dressing up like the girl reading the story to the kids in the kindergarten? We got bigger stuff to mess with. What about the guys, the men dressing up like women going to the Christian Music Award show? Well, really? Listen, I'm not for it. I'm not trying to compromise or anything. I'm just saying we're fussing about Spider-Man getting some snicker bars and we got, we got pedophiles walking into public schools in our area reading those storybooks and teaching these kids it's okay to cross-dress. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And so, and so the world doesn't like that. The world philosophy doesn't like that. The world's, world's philosophy is against the notion that there's a fixed standard of right and wrong and it's God's word. That's why there's an all-out attack on the Bible. Right? Because if I can tear down the word of God where we don't have a pure word, right? God was God enough to inspire it, but he hadn't been God enough to preserve it for us. Then I can tear down the authority of this book, right? See, if we don't have a pure, preserved Word of God, then I can decide which parts are inspired and which parts are not. It's called partial inspiration. It's what they believe. They believe that, well, parts of it are inspired and parts of it are not. Well, who gets to make the choice? The doctor down at the, the theological seminary does, I guess. Or the guy with the largest church gets to. How, I mean, how, 
And so, so, so if we can tear that, and listen, I'm not talking about the world doing that. I'm not talking about Hollywood doing that. They don't even like the book, whether it's inspired or not. Matter of fact, I think some of them know it is. That's why they stay away from it. Amen. I think a lot of that entertainment crowd knows this is the word of God. That's why they don't even deal with it. I'm talking about in the church world. I'm talking about people in even good churches that are tearing down the word of God. Because they don't want to say, well, there's a standard of right and wrong. This is the same. I know what the Bible says, but I've had it happen. I'm not being ugly. I've had it happen right here in this church, in these pews. To stand beside me. I know what the Bible says, but it's 2020 or it's 2023 or it's 2014, whatever. But my situation. I had one tell me one time, I know what that Bible says, but what are you going to do? Throw us all out? Listen, listen, this Bible is right. We don't want, we don't want a standard of right and wrong. And, and, and we don't want to say, hey, there's a set standard right here in this book. And we're just going to go by it. We don't want Bible this and Bible that. We want our way. See, the world's philosophy is this. It's based off what makes you feel good. The world's philosophy is this. Well, I feel. Well, I feel. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. That's not the Bible's That's not God's philosophy. That's the world's philosophy. The world's philosophy is this, what pleases my flesh? What makes life easier for me? What makes my life get the approval and the applause of men? And, and, and let me figure that out and then, and then I'll just go that route. That's the world's philosophy. And I'm talking, talk, again, the world we can talk about, but it's crept into the church. World's philosophy is what feels right. And then what happens in the church world, though, is we make a mockery of God because we say, I feel, I feel, I feel, and it's the Lord's, and, it, and then we blame it on the Lord. Listen, God speaks to you one way in 2023. Y'all ready for it? It's in the kingdom. Amen. Well, I had a dream. It's because you ate bad pizza. I had a vision. Yeah, you need some Pepsi, Pepsi AC or something. Well, I had a God spoke to me through a thundering cloud. That wasn't God. That was your radio still on. Amen. Still had your earbud in. <laughs> you listening? God speaks through this word. God's, and I understand. When, I understand. There's genuine people. They say God speaks to me. It's louder than audible voice. I'm not against that. What I am saying this, but it, it, this word is where He's speaking to us. It is the set standard for right and wrong. And so what we are doing in the church, we're looking for the approval and the applause of man. We're looking for making sure somebody sees what we're doing and sees that we're okay. That's why the church can't do nothing now without posting on social media. Giving out this track for Jesus. Huh? Just left a bunch of tracks at the gas station. God gets all the glory. Nuh-uh. Because you're the one has got 150 likes. Y'all listening? I'm not saying we got to. I'm not. I, I, guess, I, I guess if I mean, it bothers you, it's going to have to bother you. But we, we, got, we can't do nothing for God without the world seeing it. 
We can't do nothing for God without just letting God get the glory for it. And so, so what we've done is we've crept in this world philosophy and we've laced it with, with the Lord and Jesus and God. And it's just like a country music station. Because yeah, they're going to sing about their beer and their adultery, but they're going to have a song about mama and God in there somewhere on the mix. And they're going to talk about a King James Bible every now and then in a country song. And they're going to talk about the leather lung preacher every now and then in the country song. And they're going to say stuff like this. I like that old-time religion a little while in the country song. But they're going to say they like their beer too. And they like their wild women too. And that's what we've done into the churches. We have crept into that. And we look at these superstar churches and think that. But man, it's crept into our ranks. And so, in reality, it's, it, it, all it is that philosophy has crept into the church. And here's what that philosophy has. It has one purpose. Y'all ready for the purpose it has? It's to draw you, your heart and your mind away from the things of God. Are you listening? It is there to draw your heart and mind away. It doesn't matter where your seat is. He don't care if you physically get out or not. The world's philosophy is not worried about your position physically. He's worried about your heart and your mind. I've said it here before many and many times. But the, the furthest I've ever been away from God, I never got off the church pew. The furthest I've ever been away from the God, I was still standing behind the Sunday school podium. The furthest I've ever been away from God, I was still standing on the platform singing with the group. I was still going to the radio every week preaching on the radio. I still carry the title of preacher. I still carry the title of youth pastor. I still carry the title of singer or, or this or that or this or that. But I, my, my physical position, nobody knew, but my heart and mind was drawn away from the things of God. And it's all because that worldly philosophy got in. And God says this. God says this in Titus 2. Deny it. Deny it. Repudiate it. That word deny is almost the idea of throw it down. Get it behind you. Don't let that stuff creep into your life. Don't let that stuff creep in and rob your joy and rob your peace and rob that love and rob that, that fruit of the Spirit that God is trying to manifest out of your life. Don't let that rob you of that. Just deny it. Put away the ungodliness in your life. I looked up some definitions ungodliness and I know you know you think ungodliness and we can think of all the worst things but I'm, I'm dealing with us on Wednesday night I'm dealing with me I'm dealing with me watch this not having a regard for God what about how many times do we start our day and never consider God what about the days that we go Without ever looking into his word. Without ever praying. Just not having regard for God. That's ungodliness. I mean, we could talk about the wicked, impious, sinful stuff. But here's the definition. Disregard of God's word. A disregard of God's law. A, a disregard of God's person. 
No reverence for God. Here it is. Acting in contravention of God's demands. It, it, it is to live ungodly. It's to live as if there is no God. And some of us would never say that. Some of us would never with our lips dare say there is no God, but our lives are godless. Not wicked, not bad. You're not in no gross sin. It's just you do the same thing everybody else does. So he says this, deny that. Deny that ungodliness. And then he says, and worldly lust. That worldliness is, 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 is I, th- I thought this was interesting in the definition, human, common. God doesn't call us to a common life. He doesn't call us to mediocrity, status quo. He calls us to an abundant life. (laughs) He says this, worldly is is pertaining to this world and this life. Boy, we've got a lot of that in the church. I say it often, often. I'm going to say it again. I mean, repetition, repetition, it helps us learn. But them old timers used to say when I was growing up, they'd say, we've got our tents Drove too far. We got our tent stakes drove too far on the ground. I say in 2023, it ain't tent stakes no more. We've poured footers. We're building mansions on this side of glory. We are worried about the material gains of this world. We are worried about all the things of this world. And we're worldly in our mind. We're worried we're worried about the secular. We may call it spiritual. We put a spiritual twist to it, but really we're just trying to see how much money we can make, how much popularity we can make. The self-promotion in this generation. I imagine if it makes me sick, God's probably a whole lot sicker than it, than I am, of it than I am. I, I just, I, I don't understand it. I, I can't understand. If this is ministry, why are we self-promoting like we're some kind of rock star? I don't understand it how, and, and I'm just, can I get on a hobby horse right quick? I don't hobby horse because I don't ever say this stuff, but I, can I just get on a little soapbox real quick? These pastors, all these little reels they're making of themselves preaching and their little, their little, little statement, I don't even know how you do all that stuff. These pastors quoting themselves on social media. Glory to God. No, that's for you. That's to promote you. And, and listen, and, and there's, but, but listen, listen, listen. That's worldly. That's secular. Because we're devoted to this life, watch this, and we're devoted to this life's enjoyments. I don't mean, not, uh, listen, you ought to enjoy life, but we're devoted to it, buddy. Working overtime to, p- p- to pay for the enjoyments. Here it is. Here's what the last definition of worldly. Bent on gain. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Worldly and then lust. Y'all know what the word lust means? It just means pleasure, desires. It means a eagerness to possess or to enjoy. And he said this, we have, we, we have, we have, this is what, what he's saying, we got to deny. We've got to deny that eagerness to possess those things that are temporal. We have got to deny those, those, those cravings for the world, world thing, the worldly things. Not necessarily bad stuff, but temporal, passing, fading away. So that's what we have to deny. That's point number one. Point number two. What are we supposed to be displaying? 
We are to deny worldliness or ungodliness. We are to display, here it is, a simple, godliness. We are to deny ungodliness and we are to display godliness. Notice your Bible, verse 12. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Look at it, in this present world. Before I give you these, because I'm, I'm almost done. It's right now. It's, it's, it's not waiting till a later time in your life. It's not waiting till you get to heaven. It is this present world in this world system that don't like God. In this world system that creeps into the church to draw our minds and our hearts away from God. In this world system that draws us away from the things that are right and holy and good. In this present world, this is why, why we're supposed to live, godly. So look what it's godliness has three parts. First, it's soberly. That's our personal life. A call to live soberly, a call to live soberly is a call to exercise self-control. We are living in a generation of no self-control. See, we have some passions and desires that are, that are native to our hearts. That old nature is still there. I wished it wasn't. Man, I wish... Sinless perfection was a real thing. I wish the eradication of the flesh was a real thing. That old nature's still there. And buddy, that passion, and, and sometimes it'll turn a little bit, right? I, can, I, can, I, can I be transparent real quickly here? My desire, that my desire as a teenager, here's what my desire was. I had it planned out, buddy. I, I kind of I I submitted myself to, I wanted to do something for God, but I had a plan. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to get out of college. I'm going, to go get, I'm going to go straight into work. I'll start working at 22 years old. I'll start teaching, and I'll start coaching. I had it planned out. I was going to teach math, not because I'm a nerd, it's because they make more money. <laughs> and I was good at it, okay? So I thought, I'm going to teach math because I'll always have a job. I'll always make a little bit extra money. And nobody coaches and teaches math. All the coaches are either history ticket teachers, P teachers, or ISS teachers. So I thought, ticket in the door, right? This is my plan. 30 years, I'm going to teach and coach, and I'm going to give it everything I got to the point where one day I'm going to have a football stadium named after me. See, when I was in college, they named the entire recreation department down in Cedartown after my papa. My granddad is called Burtwood Athletic Complex, and I thought, well, if Papa can get a park named after him, I can at least get a football stadium named after me, right? That's what my plan was. And then my thought, here's what it was. I was a good plan. 30 years, I'll be 52. And y'all really going to like this. That's young. <laughs> See, I thought, I'll get somebody. That's young. And I thought, 52, I'll still have a whole lot, another lifetime and do stuff for God. That's what I thought. Was anything sinful about any of that? I don't think so. I, but you know what? Then when I started kind of getting serious for God, I'll tell you what happened. What happened? Started to, okay, maybe I'm not going to be a football coach because I can't give up. I'm not going to give up church on Sundays to go to football meetings and things like that. And then it's what I thought, okay, okay, I'll just be a world-famous pastor. That's what I thought. I'll write books, and I'll have book signings, and I'll have a big old large church, 
and I'll have a television ministry and a radio ministry and an internet ministry and everybody, and I might not, but maybe one day I'll get a church named after me. You know, if Moody could do it, surely I could, right? Allen Memorial Tabernacle. I mean, that sounds good. But you know what that is, don't you? That's just worldly lust with the name of Christianity on it. And it wasn't about reaching people with the gospel. It was about just fulfilling my desires and my passions that were still in that old nature. And now just twisting it, maybe making it look better at least, right? But here's what sober, soberly means. is to have self-control over those passions. Having self-control over those desires. Why? So we might be like Jesus. That's, that's the goal of our Christian life, is to be like Jesus. Here's, here's, what, here's what soberly means, to have self-control over our feelings. Sometimes that's hard, isn't it? I'm telling you, friend. It's hard sometimes for me. What about this? Having self-control over our finances. You meddling now, preacher? Have self-control over our feelings. Have self-control over our finances. What about self-control over our focus? The work that God has, has put in our lap, the work that God has for us to do, sometimes it's easy for us to lose focus, isn't it? Start thinking about what we could be doing here, what we could be doing there, what could be doing there, and, what could, and, and if we're not careful, we've got to have self-control over that focus. What about self-control of our faith? Believe in God. I could go on. It means this. Here's what sober means. It means to be steady and to be stable. When you look up that word sound, it's sober. Is sober and sound-minded kind of falling together. That word sound, it means to be structured firm, not broken, not easily moved. And so it means to be steady, it means to be stable. You watch a worldly-minded person. You watch a worldly-minded person. Matter of fact, I changed it in my notes. I erased it. I, I originally put, you watch a young, immature person. But I thought, you know what? They don't have to be young. They're still immature, but you just watch a worldly-minded person. They will lack sobriety in their lives, won't they? They will lack sobriety in many areas. They will overspend. They will overeat. They will overindulge. They will overreact about everything. Their life is a life of overkill. They have no sobriety in their lives. Living soberly will settle you down. And it won't have you jumping all over the place. And we see that a lot. I've told you the stories about the man who comes in here on Monday evenings. Can I meet you on Monday? Sure, come in here on Monday evening and says, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to sit under here. I'm supposed to learn. I'm supposed to learn the Bible. I'm supposed to get my, settled on some stuff and all that stuff. And Wednesday night, he comes in before church. Yeah, you're too strong on doctrine. You're too worried about doctrine. And I just want to see people saved is what he said. I said, you realize salvation is a doctrine. <laughs> We've had some, even recently, tell me, this is where we're supposed to be. And I said, no matter this, no matter this, no matter that. Okay, okay. And they're nowhere to be found. They're, they're nowhere. And you say, hey, everything all right? Yeah, everything's okay. Obviously it's not. Something's not right. Either God was wrong or you were. Better be careful about what we say about God. <laughs> I'm 100%. I said it on Sunday. 
100% sure this is the will of the Lord. Eh, no, you better be careful about that. Better be careful. So sobriety won't have you jumping off. So that's your personal life. That sobriety is your personal life. Number two, you're living righteously. That's your social life. A call to live sober is a call to exercise self-control. A call to live righteously is a call to goodness toward fellow man. We have such a problem in the church today of just treating people right. Just doing what's right to people. Listen, we are to do right at all times, at all cost, and on all counts. And listen, that's hard for our nature, isn't it? I don't know about y'all, but my kids, when they don't feel good, and you say, you got to do this, but I don't feel good. They think because they don't feel good, it's an excuse not to do right. But you know what? I deal with that too. Because when I ain't had enough sleep, I bark back at my wife. I bark at my kids. In my mind, that's God I've worked all this time. I ain't had no sleep. In my mind. And sometimes it comes out of my mouth. But you're supposed to do right. Do right, do right, do right. Till the stars fall, do right. <laughs> to, to, to mankind, righteously. Here's what it says. Righteously is to do right at all times, at all costs, on all counts. Listen, you're to do, you are to do what you promised to do. What about the empty promises left in the church? I'm talking about the people. Even when it's inconvenient and irksome. Got to be careful. It's better to not make a vow than to make it and break it, isn't it? We're to fulfill those commitments. See, living righteously, watch this, will, be, will mean being a person of high character. Well, some people's character is called into question a lot of times, isn't it? Seem like they're all in it to get what they can get for themselves. All in it to, to see what they can, can, how they can use as a, as a stepping point. I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog dog world in many places in the name of ministry. I've had many, many preachers even advise, just use it as a stepping stone. Just do this. Do, do, do what makes you feel good. Do what will make it easier for you. What are you wasting your time for that? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? See, see listen to me. Listen to me. Righteous living is how you live towards other men, how you treat other people. And listen, a righteous life demands you being a people, a person willing to do right by other people, even if it don't fare well for you. Even if it puts you out. You do right. Even if it don't come out. Listen, we're not in this thing for ourselves. There's days my wife has to remind me of that, and there's days I have to remind her of that. If we be honest, we all like that. There's days I have to say, baby, that ain't why we're doing what we do. And there's days she's had to say, baby, that ain't why we do what we do. We're doing it for the Lord. 
Though, though none come with me, still I'm going to do right. Just do right, do right, do right. And that's a lot easier preaching than it is living, y'all. To live soberly, live righteously. And lastly, I'm done. He says godly. That's our spiritual life. So he deals with our personal, our social, and our spiritual life. Here's godly, and I'm done, is a call to holiness Godward. It is a call to obedience to God's commands. Here it is, from a love for and a reverence for his character. I'm following God's command because I love him. I'm following God's word because I respect him. I have reverence for him. I adore him. I know his word is best for my life. I know what he says in the pages of this book is what's best for my life. I said it when I dealt the other Sunday night about the issue of, a, uh, of, of divorce and remarriage. And I said, you may have a more loose look at it. You may have a more tight look at it, but you won't have a better look at it than God's word. And you may have a difference in here and there, but it's nothing going to beat what God has already said in his word. And this respect and this adoration for God, it will be manifest in our lives, okay? It's going to show out. But it starts inwardly. It starts privately. Do you have any integrity? You know what that word means? It means doing right when nobody's looking. Doing right when nobody knows. Having a personal devotion with God when nobody knows you're having a personal devotion with God. Having a personal devotion when you're not getting up and preaching, when you're not getting up and teaching, when you're not posting spiritual things on social media. It's just because you love God. You love his word. You're doing right when nobody else is around. When nobody, when the brethren can't see it. You're doing right not because you're worried about the brethren seeing. Not because you're worried about paparazzi. You just love God. You're so in love with him. You just want to do for him. A life. Okay. You know why Christ public life, and I know he's God, but don't forget he's 100% man. You know why Christ's public life was impeccable? It's because his private life was of great integrity. You're going to have a public life that's righteous? It's going to have to start with a private life that's godly. So he says, deny ungodliness. Repudiate it. But he says, display godliness. Replicate it. Put it out there. And your social life, your private life, and your personal life ought to line up with this book. The school of grace is teaching us. I say this, this school never closes. This school never has recess. This school doesn't have a winter break, or fall break, or spring break. They don't get off for Christmas. They don't get off for Thanksgiving. It's year-round. All day, every day. Grace is teaching you. You know the grace of God that bringeth salvation? Y'all know, know who that is, don't you? Not just what that is. You know who it is, don't you? It's Jesus. It's what John said about him in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we held His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and 
truth. He's teaching us. He's teaching you to deny ungodliness and to display godliness. Here's the question. Are we listening? I teach a lot of stuff. I teach a lot of stuff. And I have a lot of students that don't listen. I know y'all can't believe that. As great of a teacher as I am. Some people just don't listen. Are you listening? Number two, are you learning? Are you learning what he's trying to teach you? It's not just you hear it like Charlie Brown's teacher. You're actually taking it in and you're learning. But then lastly, are you living by what you're learning? He's teaching. Are you listening? Are you learning? Are you living by what you're learning? And I just want to give the opportunity to respond, whether it be in your seat or in this altar or just whatever. Wherever. Are you denying ungodliness in your life? Are you, are you pushing away those ungodly desires, those ungodly passions, those worldly lusts, those things that, that, that are based off of not, not facts or faith, but on, on feeling and, and emotion or things that are based off of pleasing ourselves? And then are we, and I said it on Sunday night, what you take out, when you take out the bad, you got to put in the good. Are you displaying godliness, sober, soberly, righteously, godly in this present world?